There is much to be said about the idea of shapeshifters, humans or human-like entities that can take on the form of animals. Shapeshifter legends inundate our oral and literary histories such that they may be considered an archetype of human expression. One mythological shapeshifter can be found deep in the archives of Mesoamerican lore. Described sometimes as benevolent, oftentimes as evil, it was believed, and in some places still is, that certain practitioners of certain magical arts bear the ability to turn themselves into animals, most often that of a jaguar. What comes next in the lore of this creature hints at connections with a gallery of other myths and paranormal entities, and may illustrate a small piece of a much larger, synchronicity-riddled puzzle. Join us tonight as we examine the legend of the Nagual, the Jaguar Men. That's today on Hey Strangeness. Say, adventurer, are you looking for a spell-casting focus that won't empty your wallet? Do you want a wand that's a true original? Not a knockoff of some mainstream wizarding franchise. Well, you're in luck. Come on down to Morgan's Wand Emporium. Iago Morgan, dashing professor of paranormal research, has scoured the several planes and dimensions and gathered together some of the finest wands of lore and legend. Now, spellcasters of all schools are invited to view this collection in its debut exhibition only at Morgan's Wand Emporium. And if something more personal and economical is what you're after, stop by the Wandcrafter's Workbench, where an apprentice druid will guide you step by step through building your own custom wand. Whether setting off to fight a beholder, looking to complete your fantasy cosplay, or seeking the perfect evocation tool for your coven's next meetup, your adventure begins at Morgan's Wand Emporium, a Reset 20 Studios production. I'm actually leaving the cats out this time for a specific reason. I'll explain it as we Who are you putting up? Should I? I wasn't going to put up any of them. I'm just going to start it up and we'll go into it as we go. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in to Hey Strangeness. My name is Aaron. I'm Sarah. And this is episode 12. Wow. Wow. That's exciting. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Um, little footnote before we get into anything else. I've left the cats out of the bedroom again. Um, going to let them interfere and generally be... I think you're going to regret it, but okay. I might. I might. But there are two reasons. Um, one, the feedback on our holiday episode, the Yule Cat, was really positive. People seem to like the cats being <laughs> in the episode. Um, and two, we're going to talk about a few things tonight that some people in some belief systems uh, say you shouldn't talk about, uh, such as the Jinn and the Skinwalkers specifically. So why not have our possibly spiritually attuned little, little animal guys around? Our little roach eaters. Little roach eaters. I'm actually working on notes for an episode about um, the relationship between cats and spiritual and or paranormal phenomena. But uh, that's not what we're here to talk about today. What are we here to talk about today? Today we are talking about... <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> for that. Um, <laughs> so tell us about the topic. Uh, you, had, you came in very excited recently uh, about this topic because of someone you worked yes. with. Yeah, this topic was actually suggested to us by a listener. Um, my friend Victor, who has been a listener and supporter since episode one. That's and so cool. Yeah, it's really cool. It makes me very happy. Um, thank you, Victor. Thank you for your support. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, thank you for suggesting this topic because when Victor mentioned it, I thought it was a great idea. And then the more I read into it, the more my mind like melted and dripped out the side of my ear because, wow. yeah, as uncomfortable of an image as that is... This one goes deep. 
This one goes really, really deep, and I'm really excited about it. Um, today we're talking about the Nagual. And there are different ways to pronounce this. Um, no, it, the Nagual. Nagual, Nagual. I think I, I don't know. I just hear it differently. Nagual. Nagual. Like, as, I don't know. <laughs> we're going to do our best to pronounce this as accurately and respectfully as possible, but um, there are different ways to pronounce it. And the way that, you know, it was recommended we pronounce it is with the G noise, so Nagual. So that's probably what you'll hear throughout the majority of this episode, but we're going to try to, you know, be as accurate as possible. Um, so, yeah, the Nagual is a Mesoamerican mythological figure which dates back to pre-Spanish conquest times. This one is old. Dang. This one goes back very far. Uh, there are two descriptions or, you know, attributes that I was able to find, and while they are connected, they're also very different things. First, the Nagual is a guardian or totem spirit. It's said that when a baby is born, you would spread ashes across the ground in front of the baby's crib, and the first animal to walk over those ashes would be the Nagual spirit of that individual. That's pretty badass. That's interesting. That's yeah. badass. I figure, like, maybe the first few times this happened, um, they, they were still figuring it out, and, like, you know, people got rats or cockroaches as their Nagual's. Is that a funny joke, or is it just kind of stupid? I think it's kind of stupid. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I am going to put Tiberius in the bedroom because he's actively messing with the microphone cord. Come on. Um, so that's one interpretation, is the Nagual as, like, a totem or guardian spirit of a... a given individual. Awesome. Um, yeah, really cool. Some Mesoamerican cultures believed that everyone had a Nagual, like by default from birth. Kind of like in Harry Potter, your Patronus. A okay. Little bit. Well, I mean, like, uh, yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah that's kind of neat. That's kind of neat. Um, not to like, like make light of or, or jest in regards to these belief systems or mythologies. I just, you know, my brain makes that connection. Um, but then other other societies, other cultures believe that only like the leaders had Nagwals. So like the priests and maybe the nobles or the kings or emperors or whatever. Gotcha. Who were generally men. Gotcha. You know, so unfortunately we do get into some of that historical sexism that we see all over the place, all throughout human history. Cool. Cool. No, it's not cool. cool. It's bad. But then then there's the interpretation of the Nagual that I really want to focus on tonight, and that is of the shapeshifter. Yeah. Sarah, my love, what is the first thing that pops into your mind when I say shapeshifter? <laughs> I'm going to sound like such an idiot referencing Harry Potter again, but I'm going to say anime, the Animagus, like a shapeshifter. You oh, okay. You transform into an animal. The Animagus. Okay. You don't sound stupid. We're probably going to reference Harry Potter a lot. Tonight. I... I, I... <laughs> Animagus is my answer. Okay. <laughs> they shapeshift in the animals. That's the first thing that popped into my head. Okay, yeah, totally when fair. When you said that word. I tend to think of, you know, maybe the Hollywood depiction of the werewolf, um, simply because that's very ingrained in my psyche, as it is for many people. You know, what's funny is I do not think, I like, as much as I love werewolves in that story, and I've seen, like, most of the movies that you're talking about right now, I would never classify a werewolf as a shapeshifter. Is that weird? Like my yeah, mind, explain my, that to me. That is kind of. I weird. don't know. I I not disrespectfully, but I'm intrigued by this. I don't know. I just to me that's that's a werewolf that they have that term. That's so like it's its own thing. I guess in my brain, I. I but I mean, yes, they are a shapeshifter. I get that, but like to me, I don't know. 
Okay. I just wouldn't have immediately gone to that. That's cool. Okay. No, I'm here for that. That's really interesting. <laughs> Giving the werewolf its own category and not placing it alongside other shapeshifters. Is that what you're kind of what yeah, you're basically. going to? Yeah, okay. basically. Like, to me, that's it's a werewolf. That is a... Uh, a, a man like remember we talked about it in that episode being bitten by a werewolf versus in the dogman episode yeah and the dogman episode okay. yes yeah, sorry which is uh that's our third episode and it's our most downloaded today we, ta- we talked about yeah, that that's cool and we talked about the difference between like being bitten by a werewolf and turning into one versus uh true shape-shifting okay so like i said to me it's all in the same so i wouldn't have made that cor- that connection as like oh interesting shapeshifters Okay. Well, no, no, no. Well, the like, never mind. I don't know. I'm, okay, sorry. I'm too confused. Now I'm getting yeah. too confused. Well, yeah, no. Shapeshifters, shapeshifters are a whole different topic. Originally, this was going to be a, an episode with a brief footnote on the Nagual and then a protracted discussion on shapeshifters. Mm-hmm. But the deeper we got into this during the research the phase, connections. the connections became so vivid that I, I you uh, had a that was a, a wild day for you. I was a little concerned. Yeah. You needed a, a cool down time. I have never had to stop mid-research phase before and, and just let the information kind of percolate in my brain. Yeah. Um, until I started researching the Nagual. When I was a karate instructor, I would sometimes tell my students, hey, it's okay if you don't get it right now. Give it a couple of days. Come back at the next class. We'll try it again. I guarantee you it's going to be easier. Should I practice it in the meantime? Not necessarily. Just let it percolate in your brain. I tell my trainees that now at my current job in property management. Just let it stew for a couple days and come back to it. And that's what I had to do with this topic because it blew my mind. (laughs) Like I mentioned earlier, it melted my brain and it oozed out of my ear. I'm hoping that we do an effective job during this episode of translating and and relaying why because I want to really handle this respectfully. This is a really deep, a beautiful piece of mythology and mm-hmm. I, I i really want to do it justice yeah so this might be a little longer we're going to ramble a little bit i'll probably have to edit some stuff out but i really want to cover this respectfully and in detail gotcha yeah okay we can do that. so the interpretation of the nagual that we're primarily going to focus on is that of a sorcerer wizard shaman shapeshifter like entity and this caught my attention initially because, again, shapeshifters are a big topic. We've poked at it a little bit before. Yep. We'll probably devote more time to it in the future. Um, but they pop up all over the globe in different mythologies and have done so for pretty much all of human history, as far as we know. And Mesoamerica is no exception. Uh, I actually have a quote from a document that we're going to cite a lot during this episode, but it's an 1894 publication, which we'll talk more about. Um But in it, we have the author, Brinton, who says, All who have any acquaintance with the folklore of the world are aware that the notion of men and women having the power to change themselves into beasts is as wide as superstition itself and older than history. It is mentioned in the pages of Heroditus and in the myths of ancient Assyria. It is in the property of African tribes and the peasantry of Europe, still hold their faith in the reality of the werewolf of Germany, the Rougarou of France, and the Lupo Monaro of Italy. Uh, there's more in here, basically just saying that werewolves and shapeshifters are all over the world and have been for all of history. But yeah. I had that footnote written into our notes before I got to this part in this paper. So that's kind of cool. Thoughts so far? I mean, it's exciting, I guess. I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this with you because... It's an exciting cop- concept to think all throughout time there has been this this mythos of of shapeshifters and yeah to believe that they're 
I mean, or magicians or sorcerers that could take on other forms. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Um, the Nagual is an interesting one because right off the bat, it reminds me of the Native American skinwalker. One of those things I mentioned earlier that some people feel you shouldn't talk about. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we want to handle this respectfully, approach it tentatively. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's very real to some people. So Yeah, absolutely. Just, yeah, understanding that as we approach it. Uh, but, you know, a practitioner of magic or some kind of spiritual tradition who through often nefarious means um, can take on the form of an animal. In the case of the Nagual, it's a jaguar or a were jaguar. Oh. And, right? Isn't That's that? so awesome. <laughs> it's so cool. It's a big cat. The cat man. <laughs> no wonder they call me the cat man. <laughs> what, car- what cartoon is that from? I honestly don't know. Futurama. Where? I don't remember. There's an episode where the professor falls from some great height and lands on his feet. And then he's like, so that's why they call me the Cat Man. I think it was one of the movies. I don't remember. We're due for a future on our watch. Yeah. But yeah, shapeshifters are all throughout, all throughout our history, all throughout our literature, all throughout most cultures. Um, The term Nagual comes from indigenous languages that were spoken in Mexico at the time. Uh, In particular, I was able to find a folk tale about the Nagual on the website uh, of the Upper... Nikaha, yeah, okay. Nikaha. Upper Nikaha Totonic Project, uh, which is one of those dialects. Upper cool. Nikaha Totonic, yeah. Uh, this website was built to preserve the language for posterity and contains a lot of really cool primary source documents, like poems and folklore and stuff. Um, and in it, there's a very interesting, somewhat dark story of a man whose children were eaten by a Nagual. Um, and in order to take revenge, he lays on the ground and plays dead. The Nagual comes around and sniffs at him, presumably in cat form. You know how cats do. Yeah. Oh, what's this? (laughs) Sniff, sniff. Uh, And the man kills the creature by shoving a stick up its ass. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not making jokes. That's what it says. Um, Do you have the text? I do. I would like, do you want to read it or do you want to read it together? We could go back and forth. The Nagual, they say it was eating children. They say it ate six, and then this man says, Well, it ate all of my children, so now I'm going to lie down in its path, where it walks, he says. So he goes to lie down. And then, they say, now the Nagual comes. So it licks his face, it licks his face to see if he was dead or what. (laughs) It really gets close to him, the Nagual kisses his face. He deliberately lies still. He doesn't even breathe. Then it carried him off by the feet, head down. I'd better go eat him over here. I'm going to carry him a bit. I won't eat him here because someone could come by, says the Nagual. It's carrying him. So then he begins to feel around its buttocks. This one. (laughs) What? (laughs) It's what it says. Oh my god. He pulls a stick out from under his arm. Now he puts the stick up the Nagual's anus. And he makes it scream. (laughs) Then it threw off the man who went head over heels. The Nagual went bouncing along on its buttocks over and over. The stick went all the way into its anus. That's how he killed it. Then he comes and says to them, I killed the Nagual that was coming to eat the children. I killed it, he says. The Nagual was as big as a bull. Well, What? what did you kill it with? Nothing. I just put a stick up its anus and that's why it died. No one could defeat it. I defeated it because the stick ripped out its insides, he says. 
They go to see that the nagual is dead. Well, now we'll eat it, they say to each other. They begin to skin the nagual. They eat the nagual. Is another one going to come later? It won't come now. If it comes, we'll do the same to it, they say to each other. So they ate up the nagual. So then they ate it up in two or three days. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? I did not read that, just so you know. I read through the notes, but I put this to the side because I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it. <laughs> so you didn't read this before we sat down to record this? No. This is I really I- wanted it blind. I really wanted it blind. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I remember you telling me that you had something translated and then it was a little weird. Just like little, like just the way it was um, translated. And I, I was like, I'm going to read it blind. All right, cool. I'm really glad that you, that you did that. Um, initial reactions to this piece of uh, folklore, evidence. This is obviously a translated version. Yeah, um, of course. So I would like, I, I wonder uh, what the original story is like, whether it has more meaning other than what is being stated. Would you like to re uh, reiterate what is being stated? Or do you not want to do that? No, I'm cool on that. I'm just... Uh, <laughs> Okay. It's very weird. It does yeah. It does kind of make me think of the Beast of Jevudon. Um, that's another story in which an animal was killing people and was assigned supernatural abilities. Um, that's a whole other topic for a whole other day, but I couldn't help but mention it. Because, okay. yeah, that's, that's a story that has probably changed and been added to over the centuries, as we can assume most pieces of folklore have had, at least to some effect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so... We could maybe guess that this was a story about a, a, a panther or something or a jaguar that was terrorizing a particular village and then someone killed it and it became a piece of supernatural folklore. Maybe. Yeah, I but, could agree. Yeah, yeah, interesting. But I really want to focus on the fact that it was eating people um, <laughs> from a mythological perspective because that's kind of how we're going to approach this is a little more from the mythological end of the table. Okay. I mean, we'll try to approach it from as many angles and be as objective as possible, but this one's deep, Sarah. This one's really deep. <laughs> I kind of had a hard time with this one. So it also, let's break it down a little more. It also reminds me of the Wendigo. Okay, right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. The cannibalism aspect. Because it eats people, yeah. Yeah, a person that transforms into something else that eats people. Um, and Victor, when he and I were discussing this a couple of weeks ago, made a comment that actually really stuck with me. Um, and it's the idea that the shapeshifter has to commit some unspeakable or horrific act to tap into its animal powers, as is the case with the Wendigo. Mm-hmm. And as I understand it, some interpretations of the Skinwalker. Um, and I guess uh, the Vampire Diaries, we haven't, I haven't watched that. Have you watched that? No, I have not. Have you read any of them? No. We actually have one of the books here. Do we really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, I picked it up at Goodwill um, because it said vampire, so I just grabbed it off the shelf. Where is it? Which kitty is it? Jub Jub. Jub Jub Major Jub Jub. No, uh, I didn't know we had that. That's cool. Yeah, just one of them. Um, oh, I just dropped a bunch of Pokemon cards. Um, the Vampire Diaries, The Awakening, and The Struggle. I know nothing about it. L.J. Smith. Publication year. Publication year is important. I feel like we should always mention that. Night. 1991. Wow. This is kind of a classic. Okay. I didn't know the Vampire Diaries was that old. I didn't either. Cool. Okay. Well, anyway, so I guess in the Vampire Diaries, there are werewolves. 
Um, and in order to tap into their werewolf powers, they have to commit a murder or eat somebody or something like that. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm sure there are people listening who are more familiar with the Vampire Diaries and can explain that, which is great. But there's a common thread here, you know, with a, a lycanthrope or a shapeshifter having to commit some evil act in order to tap into their... Power. Powers. Gotcha. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it also brings to mind, you know, as we mentioned earlier, the Native American skinwalker. And that's another topic that bears... <laughs> very close respectful examination and has been covered in greater detail by other creators most recently in uh skinwalker howl of the rougarou by small town monsters yep yeah which i loved so much that we did a dedicated episode to reviewing it (laughs) (laughs) i made you sit down on your lunch break at work one day and record that intro with me because i was so excited about it do you remember that no (laughs) if it was lunch at work i don't well i was on lunch from work was i I think you were just at home. I do not remember. Cool. Okay. All right. This was the first time during the research phase that I had to stop because I ran into so much mind-blowing information that I needed a couple of days to let it percolate, as I used to tell my karate students, as Mm -hmm. I tell my trainees now. Um, And most of the information we're going to reference tonight comes from the January edition of Proceedings of the American Philosophical Society, uh, specifically the 1894 edition. 1984. 1894, sorry. 1894. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's old. <laughs> okay. It's kind of a big number. We're going back more than 100 years. Um, specifically, a paper titled Nagualism, A Study in Native American Folklore and History. Uh, this comes to us from uh, JSTOR, J-S-T-O-R.org, who is collaborating with the American Philosophical Society to, quote, preserve and extend access to proceedings of the American Philosophical Society. And apparently JSTOR stands for Journal Storage. Okay. Yeah. Cool. That's really cool. Isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and hats off to these folks because without this old research document... We would, yeah, we would have no... We wouldn't be talking about this. Who would believe us? Yeah. Because <laughs> we're going to get into some weird stuff very quickly. And without this you know, historical research paper that cites several primary historical documents, it would be very hard to make some of these points. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas uh, we didn't even really have to make these points. We were just doing research and all this stuff sort of popped up. It started connecting. "Ah, It started connecting. Oh, okay. 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 So in this research paper, we see numerous examples of testimony by Christian missionaries going back as far in some cases as the 1600s. Uh, wherein they claim to have had actual encounters with shape-shifting Nagual. Uh, they assign them a number of seemingly impossible abilities, generally having to do with shape-shifting, but they could also control the weather, they could speak to animals, uh, cool. they could see the future. Damn. Uh, basic, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, I kind of want to be a Nagual. Same. You, you will also want to be a Nagual by the time this is over. <laughs> I'm convinced of that, because I do. Um, They have a lot of really cool supernatural abilities, but the one that's most often mentioned is shape-shifting. They can turn into roosters, snakes, dogs, balls of fire, uh, and many, many other forms, but the one that's most often brought up is that of a jaguar. Jaguar. Yeah, or a half-human, half-jaguar. There seem to be different interpretations. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Half and half, okay. Yeah. We'll get to a little bit more of that later. 
but this is interesting too because we have a lot of shapeshifter legends from all over the world, all over history, that portray humans or human-like creatures as being able to transform into a number of different entities. Okay. Right? Yes. Kind of varying regionally and <laughs> chronologically. But here we have one that can turn into a bunch of stuff. Cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty cool. Um, and it also has at least... So we have a shapeshifter that can turn into multiple forms. Wait, isn't that biblical? What do you mean? Like balls of fire? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's fire all over the place in the Bible. There's the pillar of fire. Uh, the flaming sword at the Garden of Eden. There are also biblical connections in this this thing that we're going to get more to later. Okay. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Very glad you brought that up. Now, it is important to note that, you know, this research paper, Nagualism, uh, a study in Native American lore, um, was written from a very late 1800s European Christian perspective. So you kind of have to bear in mind every writer has an agenda. And, yeah. Yeah. There was probably a goal to cast... Mesoamerican peoples in a certain light. Shock. Yeah. Shock value. Um, no, you're. I, I am not shocked. Oh. I think you were expecting me to be shocked. I am not shocked. I wasn't expecting you to be shocked uh, at all. Okay. Racism yeah. is per pervasive. Yeah. Especially <clears throat> in history. Mm-hmm. And now. And all the time. But what I really like about this research paper is that it does state in the footnotes at several points, hey, this account from this Christian missionary in the 1600s is written from a very biased perspective and does not translate the meaning of what this native witness said in its original intent. There are several footnotes like that throughout you know, the document. So that's why I think it's a pretty good source because the, the author was at least making an attempt to be as objective as possible. Cool. Daniel G. Brinton, source Proceedings of the American Philosophical Society, January 1894, volume 33, number 144, pages 11 through 73. Source URL, https colon slash slash www.jstor.org slash stable slash 983361. What? Ready? No! <clears throat> JSTOR is a not-for-profit service that helps scholars, researchers, and students discover, use, and build upon a wide range of content in trusted digital archive. We use information technology and tools to increase productivity and facilitate new forms of scholarship. For more information about JSTOR, please contact support at JSTOR.org. Your use of the JSTOR archive indicates your acceptance of the terms and conditions of use available at <laughs> HTTPS colon slash slash about dot JSTOR dot org slash terms. <laughs> No. <laughs> I mean, I, I always want to make sure we're giving proper credit to <laughs> our sources of information. And, what? You know, if we're going to say this is a primary historical document, it's important that we mention where it came from. Uh, this content downloaded from IP address to <laughs> December 27th to... Dude, you remind me of, of um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine when uh, Captain Holt would read off the full case file number. <laughs> Oh, yeah. 
I'm not going to read this whole document to you, Sarah, but I probably will pull some more excerpts as we go because there's a oh, lot. Oh, I know of, you want to. There's a lot of really I know you cool want to. stuff in here. Um, I know you want to. I considered asking you to read this whole thing before this discussion, <laughs> but I barely pulled that off myself. And while you're a more prolific reader than I am, it is a research paper that was written in 1894 by a man named Daniel G. Brinton. <laughs> Now, here's an interesting aspect of Nagualism or, you know, Nagual beliefs that uh, I didn't realize was a part of it until I really got into it. And that is that they were uh, guerrilla fighters. Guerrilla. Guerrilla. Did I say cool. that okay? Yeah, that was perfect. Guerrilla. I loved it. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. It's because of Far Cry 6. Um, Sarah has been playing Far Cry 6. I have. It's taken over my life. Yeah, I'm kind of in love with Danny. Um, I am too. And it, yeah, it's mutual. It's mutual. It's very healthy. Uh, but yeah, the, the Nagual practitioners and the, or the Nagwali sorcerers were leaders of guerrilla groups who existed in rebellion against the Spanish Christians. Um, cool. Yeah. Nagualism was also apparently, you know, within the last few hundred years during and after the Spanish conquest, um, was very much a belief system that was in rebellion against Christianity because, you know, Spanish Christians had taken over their lands and obliterated a lot of their culture and mm -hmm. so on and so forth. We talk about that a little bit in our last episode. One, one in particular that I really enjoyed reading about was of a Mesoamerican, uh, quote-unquote, Joan of Arc, according to some accounts, known as Maria Candelaria. And uh, according to the historian Ordonez y Aguiar, uh, he recognizes the spiritual or religious order that she led as being an Aquali sect. Cool. Yeah. That's pretty badass. Um, she was said to be barely 20 years old and may have commanded as many as 70,000 fighters with unquestioned authority. I love this. Uh, apparently she was ultimately defeated in battle by the Spanish, but was never captured because she escaped into the forest with a few trusted followers and they never found her. Uh, I love Maria Candelaria. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is such a cool figure. I think you can make a movie about her. I think there should be books about her. Um, I would say if anyone listens to this and has more information on Maria Candelaria, I'm really interested in hearing about it. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, it also reminds me again, Far Cry 6. Yeah. Yeah. Especially now that uh, I've been playing every day. <clears throat> um, I definitely see it. Very good game. Very good game. And now that we've talked about it, we can tag uh, our posts about this episode with Far Cry 6. Probably get a little more... Ew, <laughs> you clout chaser. I'm not a clout chaser. I anyway. Just, you have to think about marketing. Anyway. I feel like it makes sense, though, that there would be a, a desire to describe these people as evil, both from a political and a religious perspective, um, yeah. because you don't want people idolizing this and, and having hope. Yeah. That makes sense. And, and again, you know, history is written by the winners, and... <laughs> Sadly, the Christian conquerors of Mesoamerica were arguably the winners, so a lot of our historical documents come from them. So, you know, it, it, it makes sense that a lot of the descriptions we have of the Nagual and the Nagwali sorcerers are 
of them being devil worshippers and, and evil. Evil, yeah, yeah. So these same accounts from these Christian missionaries from the 1600s, 1700s, and so on, um, where they say these these guys can transform into balls of fire, they can turn into dogs, they can turn into jaguars. Um, in the same breath, they say you know they're worshippers of of Satan and they're very evil, but you know, I, I did find some sources that supported, uh, much like we've said about witches and shaman before, that mm-hmm. they were, you know, healers or wise men or advisors, mm-hmm. um, but that they had different religious beliefs that did not coincide with those of their conquerors. So you have to view that with a grain of salt. But the fact is that there is still a lot of lore and a lot of uh, evidence that goes back and states that, hey, these guys could, they could turn into stuff. You with me so far? I am, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, Now, we mentioned in our last episode that Quetzalcoatl, the feathered serpent, uh, was the patron or god or saint of many of the spiritual orders of the day throughout Mesoamerican history. We did, yes. Yeah, we did. Um, In the research paper, Nagualism, author Daniel G. Brinton states that the order of shamanic priests to whom Quetzalcoatl was the main figure of worship are none other than the Nagwali sorcerers themselves. (sighs) (laughs) Big breath, big breath. Okay. Can I, let me smoke a little bit. I know you're excited about this. I know you're excited. This is where it really gets going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is where it really gets going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I did not know this when we started researching our Quetzalcoatl episode. I had no idea that there was a shapeshifter connection. And I also did not know this when we decided to feature the Nagual as our next topic. It was really just within the last few days before recording and and airing that I ran across this connection in this research paper. You know, the Nagualism of Native Mm -hmm. American folklore. I had no idea. (laughs) It randomly just sort of popped up. That's fucking cool. Yeah. And it really blew my mind. It could have stopped there and it still would have blown my mind. But no, there's more. Of course there's more. The Nakwali sorcerers would use a variety of hallucinogenic drugs to enter a spiritual state or a trance and sometimes channel their Nagual spirit, possibly perform the actual act of shapeshifting, depending on the mythology we're referring to. Uh, specifically, they would use peyote, which... But most people have heard of peyote because it's referenced in pop culture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. Um, But they would also use another compound called coahuitl, which translates to serpent plant. Ooh. Ooh. Again, the serpent, the feathered serpent, the Quetzalcoatl connection. But then there's more. (laughs) This is where my brain really started coming out of my ears. You and your synchronicities. I'm so excited for you. Oh, man. Okay. (laughs) There's an older name for the Nagual, which comes from, quote, pre-Hispanic times. Uh, I don't know exactly what pre-Hispanic I don't times think means. I do either. I, 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 yeah. I, 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 no. I've never heard that term before. Neither have I. Uh, I'll link to the research paper that references it in the description of this episode. This episode's going to have a lot of links in it because I want to make sure all of these sources are cited. I want people to follow up on our research if they care to do so. Um, if we misrepresent any of this folklore, any of these belief systems, I want to call that out. I want to make a correction on it because this is, this is very real to some people. Um, much in the way that La Llorona is real Mm -hmm. to a lot of people or Lechuza, which, you know, we could talk at length about. But again, there's more. There's an older name for the Nagual. Uh, but Nagual seems to be derived from the words meaning disguise and skin. Uh, in the old dialects, 
There are other words with the na root, which I would like to list a few examples of. From the Maya of Yucatan, Nahual or Natual, a native dance forbidden by the missionaries. Nata, to understand or to divine. No, great, skillful, as no aje, a skillful hunter. From the Maya dialects, we have Natal, the memory. Nahual, a witch or sorcerer. Uh, no, the god of reason, genius. Uh, then from the Tsental, we have uh, Naukibal, a memory. Naugi, art and science. We have Alugam Naum, the goddess of wisdom. Uh, jumping ahead, we have the Zapotec of Ahuaca. Uh, Nanaticha or Nonai, a wise man. Nui, truth. Uh, Ninai, that which is true. Ninana, the understanding, the intelligence generally. And then from the Nahuatl, we've referenced the Nahuatl already. Mm -hmm. uh, from Mexico, Nawa to dance, holding each other by the hands. Again, another reference to dance. Very interesting. Uh, Nahuali, a sorcerer, magician, enchanter. Nahuatl, magic, enchantment, witchcraft. Uh, Nahuatl or Nahuatl, skillful, astute, smart, hence superior. Applied to language, clear, well-sounding, whence perhaps the name of the tongue. Nawati, to speak clearly and distinctly. And finally, Nautlato, an interpreter. Uh, and then I have a quote again from this same research paper, printed February 21st, 1894. I believe that no one can carefully examine these lists of words, all taken from authorities well acquainted with the several tongues and writing when they still retain their original purity without acknowledging that the same radical or syllable underlines them all. And further, that the primitive form and rich development of this radical in the Zapotec, it looks as if we must turn to it to recognize the origin of all these expressions, both in the Nahuatl and the Maya linguistic stocks. The root na, to know, is the primitive monosyllabic stem to which we trace all of them. Nahual means knowledge, especially mystic knowledge. The gnosis, the knowledge of the hidden and secret things of nature, easily enough confounded in uncultivated minds with sorcery and magic. Woo! <laughs> wow. What do you take away from that? What are your impressions? Wow. Um, I talked for a long time. I would really like to hear wow. from you. I need to shut up. <laughs> Are you okay? I mean, yes. <laughs> I'm more than okay. To sum it up, and I don't know if we should edit some of that out. Uh, we talked about doing unedited episodes as Patreon bonuses when we finally reached that point. Maybe some of that should be Patreon content. I don't know, because that's a long stream of consciousness. But it is. <clears throat> I, basically, what the writer is saying, Daniel G. Brenton, is that there's a unifying aspect in in many of these Mesoamerican cultures with the root word na, which most most commonly means knowledge or skill or magic. Also has associations with music, multiple mentions of dance. Cool. Interesting stuff here. Um, and we see that more in paranormal lore that we'll talk about as we go forward, but I'll probably have to take some of that out. I just didn't want to leave that out. That's a lot of interesting stuff. Ugh. Um, there's an older name for the Nagual. And uh, uh, while the Nagual, while the term Nagual is derived from words meaning disguise and skin and many, many other meanings that we can go into other detail about, the original name for these shape shifting entities was Tlaquecolotl. Tlaquecolotl, which translates to Owlman. Ooh. 
Ooh. I like that. Uh, the Owl Man is described much in the same way as the Nagual. A magic user, shapeshifter, possibly evil, possibly not, but having the ability to take on animal form, including that of a half-owl, half-human. Which immediately reminds us of, Sarah? La Lechuza. La <sighs> this was the point at which I had to stop. Like, okay, I need to take a step back. I need to process this. I need to take notes. Uh, because I'm going to get overwhelmed and I'm going to forget stuff. Because, holy That's wild. Wild. The Tlaquecolatl uh, uh, entities were also described as having red eyes, much like Lechuza. Um, being able to take on a half-owl, half-human form. Much like Lechusa. Much like Lechusa. Um, being practitioners of witchcraft, possibly friendly shaman types, but possibly not so friendly, you know, warlock witch types. Much like Lechusa. Um, we did an episode on Lechusa the Witch Owl a few months back. We've had a lot of positive feedback on it. Shortly after this episode was released... And by that, I mean the next day, a listener reached out to us and sent us photos of a white owl that showed up in her backyard. Oh, yeah, that's... Yeah. Synchronicity. That was a pretty interesting synchronicity. Um, you know, Lechuza is sometimes described as being a white owl with red eyes. Uh, this listener also apparently had encounters with Lechuza, or what they believed to be La Lechuza, growing up on the Mexican border. So that's an interesting little footnote. Um, and then a few months later, we're driving back from CryptidCon, and I am trying to keep myself awake by catching up on some of the podcasts I've fallen behind on. Um, the only thing that's, that sucks about joining a community of podcasters is that all the people you like and support have podcasts, <laughs> and there are only so many hours in the day. <laughs> Would you agree with me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we're driving back, and I'm listening to the Haunted Hermanas podcast. A great show. Definitely check them out. They're three sisters, and they are haunted, I'm assuming, as per the name of the show. Uh, and they cover a lot of really cool stuff. They do so in a really organic, conversational way, specifically a lot of Latin American lore, which, you know, is important to us. That's, it is. Yeah, why we cover it a lot. Um, but there's an episode, and I'll link to it in the description, where they share a story about a Lechuza sighting out of Guanajuato, Mexico. Guanajuato. Yeah, Guanajuato. <laughs> I want to say it right. No, it sounds great. Um, Don't, you're fine. Doing okay? It sounds great. Yeah, okay. absolutely. All right. I only repeated it because I have ADHD and I don't know how to respond sometimes, <laughs> so I just repeat what you said. Well, I really like, I really like the the word Guanajuato. It's like, cool. Yeah, it's yeah. cool. Yeah. There, there are some words in some languages that are just really fun to pronounce, and sounds I, like music. Yeah, Guanajuato. Mm -hmm. It's pretty. Um, but when we produced our Lechuza episode, I mentioned to a friend who happens to be from Guanajuato uh, what we were working on. And he says, oh, yeah, they're, uh, they're in my hometown. People talk about them. I think I've seen one. That's and, so cool. Yes. And he provided us with a piece of video evidence that I'll probably go ahead and repost just to coincide with the launch of this episode uh, for convenience sake so people don't have to scroll all the way back down through our feed. Um, where something very, very strange that some people believed at the time was a Lalachusa was caught on video. Um, and this account is covered in more detail in that episode titled The Witch Owl, but my point is that Guanajuato is weird. Yeah. It's a weird place. Well, yeah, a dark place. I, I want to visit again soon. I don't think I've ever been there, actually. Never Wait, mind. again? You, I was going to say. I was going to say, I don't think so, no. You've been to Guanajuato? I don't think so. 
Ooh. I feel like my mom might have, though. We have to ask her. We have to. Should have called her before we recorded we this. We should have. Because I feel like I was going to when we saw her last uh, weekend. You can I call can... her now if you want. We can edit it out. But um, <clears throat> the point I want to make, I know you, you're not a fan of addressing the audience, but I'm just going to do that for a second. Is that okay? Sure. Something is going on in Guanajuato, and we need to figure it out. In addition to these two La Lechuza sightings, which are totally unrelated until now, until, like, you know, the Haunted Hermanas brought it to our attention and we were able to make this connection, uh, there, there are mummies down there. Some of the oldest naturally preserved mummies on Earth. Uh, apparently the result of a cholera outbreak at one point. And then uh, there was, like, a family of serial killers that was from there or something. Don't what? quote me on that, but look into it. Yeah, Guanajuato is a weird place. There's a lot of weird <laughs> going on down there. I think so, because I feel like my mom's been to Mexico City. Okay, is it near Mexico City? Yeah. I feel like my mom has been to Mexico City. She hasn't responded yet, but I... Yeah, okay, we'll see, see what she says. Mexico City, Guanajuato. Okay, yeah. So I feel like I'm my mom you, has that's been... That's pretty but... far south. Yeah. Very far south. So, so let's take a second and step back, okay? Because, you know, we've yeah, gone in a lot of different directions. Yeah, before this gets lost, I feel like we've gotten, kind of gotten a little lost yeah. here. Yeah, I wanted to talk about Guanajuato. I knew it was going to be a diversion, but here, here we go. Uh, we have a shapeshifter from Mesoamerica that apparently can take on almost any form, or at least a variety of forms, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, we have an older version of the same creature referred to as the Owl Man, with glowing red eyes and the ability to be a half-human, half-bird. Just like Lechuza. Moreover, the Nagual has a lot in common with the Skinwalker and Wendigo of Native American mythology. Um, and I mean, these places are a part of the same landmass. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, most of them, yes. Yeah. Separated by thousands of miles, but Mexico is connected to Canada geographically. You can walk from Canada to Mexico. Right? Yes. Am I wrong? I don't I'm, know. Why are you asking me geographical questions? Well, okay, look. I, did, I have not. <laughs> Why would you do that? To me? I'm just. I just wanted you to agree with me. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. You can, yes. I'm telling you yes, a fact. Yes, you agree with me? Yes. Yes. yes you can yes, walk from yes, Canada yes, to yes, Mexico. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. If the hunting territory of a wolf can make up 700 square miles. <laughs> A shapeshifter can walk from Canada to Mexico and or back again. Yes? Yeah. Okay. That's what I wanted. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so the Nagual has some stuff in common with the Skinwalker and the Wendigo. And these Native American legends, in turn, have commonalities with European werewolf legends, um, specifically in association with dark magic and witchcraft and sometimes devil worship, depending on what you're reading. Yeah. Then we have Quetzalcoatl as the patron god of these shapeshifters to such an extent that the drugs they used to enter their shapeshifter state were referred to as the serpent plant. Wow. And this isn't even going into potential connections uh, with other cryptids such as the Mothman or the Owlman of Monin who I'm pretty sure was just a guy in a costume who had a creepy predilection towards young girls. But again, topic for another day. I'm speaking specifically of the Owlman of Manon, not the Mothman. Mothman is its own thing. Pretty sure it's from another dimension. <laughs> um, and also the Batman of Houston. 
you know, winged humanoid entities. Mm -hmm. uh, these are slightly more modern examples, and the connections between them and Lechuza are covered elsewhere um, in greater detail. I'll once again direct anyone who might listen to this to the Lake Michigan Mothman by Tobias Wayland. Um, last I checked, it was available on what's Amazon's Kindle service where you get access to all the free ebooks? Is it Kindle Plus? Uh, 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 yes, I think. I think it's Kindle Plus. Okay. Yeah, my mom went when she was young to Mexico City, but not Guanajuato. Not Guanajuato. Okay, yeah. so she's been to Mexico City. Yeah. Very interesting. Cool. Uh, but yeah, I'm pretty sure if you have a Kindle Prime or Kindle Plus, whatever the f subscription, you can read the Lake Michigan Mothman for free. I think you should order the book, have it on your shelf because it's a seminal classic. Um, and then also in the film On the Trail of the Lake Michigan Mothman from Small Town Monsters. Uh, speaking of that film, On the Trail of the Lake Michigan Mothman specifically there's a winged creature in that film that seth breedlove captures on camera which we can't conclusively identify uh and he has some really interesting things to say about that encounter in intervening interviews intervening i mean between when it happened and right now uh specifically in interviews with yours truly myself <laughs> i interviewed him very shortly after that was filmed i'm just gonna brag about that for a sec that's pretty cool i think it's pretty cool uh, and we got to talk about it. And also our friends BJ and Mitra of the Unrefined Podcast. Uh, they did a great episode with Seth and Heather Mosier recently. And they talk about that. Very cool stuff. Uh, but in it, Seth says that it was more than likely a horned owl. An owl. Owl. Another owl. Also, right before we recorded this episode, and I mean yesterday, we went to visit your mom in San Antonio. Again, your mom. <laughs> uh, and, you know, she gave us some gifts because she's a gift giver and, and she's amazing. And she gave us an owl statue. She said it was for our yard. She said that you should always have an owl in your yard. Yeah. I think it's like a it's like a, a rodent scarer, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Like it's to make animals that might sneak into your yard think, oh, there's an owl there. I should leave. Yeah. Which kind of speaks to like the natural power of the owl. Like, mm -hmm. ooh. I feel like we could have a protracted discussion about owls and their recurrence in paranormal lore. Um mm -hmm. At least as it pertains to Mesoamerica. Thoughts so far? I've been talking for a long time again. It's just a lot. I, I, I don't know. I like I like where your head's taking you. It's so cool. Because um, I, I, again, grew up with this. Like, I grew up with it being in, in kind of, you know, Mesoamerican art. Uh, with the Lechuza or with, with the Nagual, with, with No, well, with the, like, the Quetzalcoatl, like, the so With the there. feathered serpent? Yeah. I just grew up with uh, Mesoamerican art. Like, okay. uh, so kind of seeing it, like downtown San Antonio has a really cool gallery that has a lot of, um, Mesoamerican and like Tejano Mexican art. It's really cool. We were talking to, to a listener about this and they, they kind of brought up an article while we were talking about it of different Mesoamerican legends. And there's lizard men. Uh, there's other kinds of shapeshifters in addition to the Nagual, uh, owl entities. Like there's a lot. Mm -hmm. Mesoamerican mythology covers the, the, the gambit from one end to the other. Of paranormal lore we'll, we'll probably have to look more at that um but speaking specifically kind of going back to the lake michigan mothman speaking specifically of modern sightings uh there are modern sightings of the nagual in mexico and that doesn't surprise me at all it doesn't no it doesn't talk I, to me about that i i just uh, i mean uh mexico is very very uh <laughs> i don't want to say old antique it's 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 I mean, it's been around for a long Traditional, time. Traditional, maybe? Uh, 
Yes and no. I mean, the churches that have been built there were uh, existing before, you know, most of America. So. Okay. Okay. There's a lot of history. Yeah. Very historical. Very cultural, very historical. It doesn't, no, it just doesn't surprise me. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Well, there's there's a sighting of a Nagual as recently as 2020, um, which is documented in a couple different websites online. Uh, in a town known as Soledad del Doblado, about 30 miles from Veracruz, dozens of angry townsfolk one night took to the streets armed with guns and, and gardening tools and sticks and what have you uh, in an attempt to hunt down and destroy what they believe to be an actual shape-shifting Nagual. Uh, and there's video online of the night in question uh, where you can kind of just see the crowd and people are not very happy. Yeah. Um, and the hunt ended when the townspeople chased the creature up into a palm tree and it apparently transformed into some kind of winged creature and flew away. So again, we have multiple connections. You have the winged entity, you have the, the shape-shifting, you have the association with uh, maybe not dark magic, but these people were not happy to see this thing. Yeah. Yeah. But there's not a ton of information about this online, and as with any sighting, it has to be taken with a grain of salt. Uh, but the point here is that many people still believe in this as a thing. Mm -hmm. Like, much like La Llorona and La Lechuza, there are people to this day who are like, no, this is a real thing, this poses a threat to our safety, if it shows up, we need to respond to it. We have to kill it. Like, interesting. Very interesting. And and again, I mean this with all due respect. I don't mean to poke fun or, or laugh or anything. Like, this is a real thing to real people. And I think that's worth talking about. I mean, I agree. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> In the book Shapeshifters by Nick Redfern, uh, we have two accounts of what could be described as a Nagual representative creature, specifically a bipedal transforming cat-like monster uh, with human and feline traits. These accounts are actually out of the UK, totally removed from South America. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, one takes place in 1978 and one in 2013. They're covered in the chapter The Black Cat Phenomena, which picks up on page 69. Um, and they take place in an area historically known for black dog sightings. Black dog sightings, yet another phenomena that deserves closer examination um, and now has yet another superficial link to this folktale because as we mentioned earlier, some Nagual were said to be able to transform into dogs. So, okay. tentative, tentative, superficial connection. I'm not saying these things are necessarily connected, but at least on the surface, we see some things in common. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I'm reaching too far. Right? I don't think so. Um, I like that you're admitting it's a superficial link, though. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It's tangential. Like, like you can draw uh, parallels between any paranormal phenomena. I once drew a flowchart on a whiteboard at work that linked Jack Parsons to the Loch Ness Monster to the Roswell Debris. Um, that's a real connection which oh we should God. really talk about. <laughs> but again, tangentially, superficially, you know, you can draw yeah. lines between anything if you want to. That's called apophenia, um, <laughs> where it crosses into the realm of synchronicity. There are superficial connections okay. between these different pieces of folklore and these different pieces of lore, um, such that even, you know, Daniel G. Brinton mentions the Lugaru in this research paper on the Nagual. So 
these things are connected at some capacity, even just, you know, anecdotally. Um, so let's break it down bullet by bullet. Okay. The Nahuali is an old entity, probably as old as Lechuza, possibly the same thing if we go back far enough to uh, Tlacatlatl. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, sightings of both Lechuza and the Nahual persist into the modern day. Mm -hmm. we, we, we have anecdotes to support that, even maybe some video evidence. Uh, even Christian missionaries who were present in Mexico in earlier centuries, again, as far back as the 1600s, the 1700s, according to the research paper Nagualism that we referenced a lot today, uh, claim to have had experiences with actual shapeshifters. And while the writers of these accounts were undoubtedly biased, they still wrote down on paper, I saw a man transform into a ball of fire, a pig, a dog, a jaguar. Wild. Wild. Uh, the Nagual and Lechuza both have connections to other, perhaps more, quote-unquote, mainstream paranormal entities. They're a little better known, uh, such as the Mothman, Skinwalker, Wendigo, and even Black Dogs. Recall that one of the forms that Nagual sorcerers could take on was that of a dog. So, you know, again, tangentially, we can draw a line. Um, and finally, there's an overbearing connection to Quetzalcoatl. And the feathered serpent, as we talked about in our last episode, continues to show up all over modern mythology um, and was very, very important to Mesoamerican cultures for over 1,200 years. Another interesting little, I don't know if this is a synchronicity or a contradiction or a coincidence, uh, but, you know, these Christian missionaries wrote about Nagualism as being an anti-Christian belief system. Um, you know, they led, again, guerrilla rebellions against the Spanish Christian conquerors. Uh, but then you have this modern folk take on Quetzalcoatl from the Mormon church that we talk about in our last episode. I'm sorry to keep doing that, but like, you know, all this connected for me. Mm -hmm. uh, where some people believe that Quetzalcoatl, as described in Mesoamerican mythology, is Jesus as described in the Book of Mormon. Wow. <laughs> Thoughts? <laughs> Questions? I... I don't know. I've never read the Bible. Uh, we, didn't, we weren't even talking about the Bible. <laughs> I've never read the Book of Mormon. I've never read the Book of Mormon. We have a copy of it. Do it really? Mm-hmm. I think Keith gave it to me. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, that's crazy. But yeah, what do you think? Like, uh... holy You grew up with the Lechuza mythology. And I as did. As you said, you grew up with, you know, seeing imagery... Of the feathered serpent and of the jaguar. Like, what do you think? What do you think? Hearing all this thrown into the same pot, you know. I feel like I don't have a good take on it because I didn't, I don't know. Like, to me, it's it's just a normal part of my childhood and my culture, I guess. Um, I didn't know the backstory of it probably because of, you know, youthful ignorance. But, well, you know. I just think it's cool. I don't know. I've always loved loved that aspect of that's why our our you know wedding theme was fiesta. Something. It was. <laughs> it was a very traditional like Mexican theme. It was beautiful. I yeah. love those parts of my culture and getting to know more about it has been pretty wild. Um, yeah. So I just that's I guess the word for it wild. I love it. It makes me want to go visit Mexico and. Um, I want to go to the Mayan ruins. I want to go to see Aztec stuff. I want to walk up to, you know, a, a, a relic depiction of Quetzalcoatl and just, like, 
give it a nod, you know? A nod. <laughs> yeah. Not like, you know, I don't want to be a weirdo. I'm not going to fall down on my knees and <laughs> prostrate myself before the great feathered serpent. But just to like be in touch with that. Yeah. You know, at some level. Kind of like seeing the Mothman statue. That was a pivotal moment in my life. In our life. Our lives life together. Both. Life slash lives. <laughs> what? <laughs> I will never be the same. You lost me a little there. I'm sorry. Um, but do you see Do you see why this blew me away? Yeah, I do. I do. The connections are pretty wild. I can definitely see you, you know, in a basement. Not in a basement. Well, you know. <laughs> we don't have a, a basement. In a room, you know, with a, with a uh, expo marker, you know, drawing connections. And it's just cool. This is a really wild one. Um, and I mean, I, I, I'm not an expert on this topic by any stretch of the imagination. And if anyone who listens to this is, if you've studied Mesoamerican mythology, if you know more about, you know, the history of the Mayan and Aztec peoples, if you know more about the Nagual, I, we'd, we'd love to hear more. Um, I would love to do an update on this wherein we Absolutely. say, you know, yeah, hey, here's some more information. This was, this was found here. I, I this is another topic kind of like Quetzalcoatl where I could have spent three hours just talking about the research topic um, and picking out different folklore and different tales. Uh, it really blew my mind. It really blew my mind. But again, we go back to certain commonalities, uh, the shapeshifter, you know, um, the harnessing of magical or, or preternatural energies. Um, different paranormal entities that at first glance are disjointed having things in common. And it takes me back to John Keel's unified theory of the super spectrum that perhaps all paranormal phenomena is in one way connected. Um, werewolves become skinwalkers, which become Nagual, which could be fey entities, which could be jinn. I mean, it just keeps going. Yeah. So this one really, really blew my mind and I'm excited to, uh, I hope we get some feedback on this one. I'd really like to hear some some outside thoughts on it. Mm -hmm. it this episode really was kind of a stream of consciousness. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to edit it and trim it down to where it doesn't sound quite so much like that. But it was just a lot, a lot, a lot. And I'm excited to see what comes next. Yeah. Um, you want to do some announcements? Whatever. Okay. Our merch shop is up and running. Is it? Yeah. Officially? Can... Yeah, it's open. Oh, God. It's on Etsy. If you search Hey Space Strangeness on Etsy, uh, when I searched for it, ours was the first thing that popped up. Cool. You can buy our stickers. They're $2. Um, I'm going to be putting the buttons up there in a few days because we have some leftover buttons from our last marketing campaign. Um, also, I forgot to mention this at the beginning, but the commercial we played between the intro and our discussion is an actual commercial. Uh, my very best friend, Keith, whom I have known for over 20 years, makes wands. Uh, in addition to wands, they make jewelry and uh, medieval board games and uh, hand-woven clothing items such as satchels and scarves and hats. And Keith will be on an episode of Strange Conversations very soon, but that was an actual commercial. That will also be in the uh, description of this episode. This is not a joke. This is 100% real. Thank you for tuning in to Hey Strangeness. My name is Aaron. I'm Sarah. Join us in two weeks for our next episode. I have no idea what it's going to be about. I guess, this one took me in a lot of different directions and I don't know what to do next. Um, and every day on Instagram, we generally post something every day. So you can also find links to most of the stuff we talked about tonight. Uh, 
I gotta shut this down. My, I, my again, brain melting out of the ear, just falling out all over the floor. It's disgusting. 